how did you sort of know that this was something we need to we either need to we need to systematize this or we need to lock in this process what you want to do is like where's the bottleneck and then create a system around that right so i always say hey the bottleneck was every estimate i have to be there okay let's create a system for that let's create a really simple way of calculating the price for jobs and for quotations so that way anybody can do it any of our most you know most junior employees that have been around them for a month or two can figure that out so you're always looking for bottlenecks and then you've got to use a system to solve that problem Welcome to another UpFlip episode where we interview successful business owners that started from nothing and now live the lives of their dreams. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and today we're interviewing Mike Andes, the owner of Augusta Lawn Care, on how to grow and scale your business. He's already been featured in two of our videos, and his business's growth stats are off the charts. Mike started Augusta Lawn Care Services after graduating with his MBA, grew his company to a seven-figure income at the age of 24, and continues to scale his business further, and you're about to find out how. On this episode, we'll get to know how he scaled his business at such a young age, what he did to grow from one location to 60 franchises in just two years, how does he hire the right employees, what systems he uses to keep his team organized, and how is he running this mammoth of a business while scaling so swiftly, and a lot more. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, before we dig into your story, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those that might not know you and how you've started Augusta Lawn Care Services. Yeah, so I started mowing lawns when I was really young. I was 11 years old uh, and basically cut grass to uh, be able to pay my way through college. I started college when I was really young, 13 years old. I started college. I thought I was become a doctor, so that was kind of my way to you know be able to pay for college and get ahead. At 18 years old, I finished my degree. I thought I was going to go to medical school. Ended up canceling out on that, starting my MBA instead, and at the same time starting Augusta Lawn Care. And then two years ago, I was 24. We started uh, franchising Augusta Lawn Care. So now we have 60 plus locations in Canada and the U.S. and uh, uh, yeah, looking forward to keep going. Yeah, uh, for those of you that uh, have been to our YouTube channel, you'll you'll recognize uh, Mike's voice. If you haven't been to our YouTube channel, check us out, Upflip on YouTube. You can actually see how Mike is running his business. Uh, so make sure you go give that a look. So I guess on scaling a business, Mike, let's start with the basics. What is what does that mean to scale a business? Is that uh, just revenue growth, or is there more to it? I think when you look at like a mathematical model, I would look at scaling as when you can hit. Uh, some sense of parabolic growth, right? Um, Or exponential growth. Mm -hmm. And when you start scaling, it's a matter of like, I have something that works. How do I continue to just copy and paste, copy and paste? And that type of model is quote unquote scalable, i.e. it's something that can be repeated over and over and over again, and the systems not break. How long after opening uh, Augusta Lawn Care uh, did you start thinking about expanding to multiple locations, or was that something you sort of had had in mind from the beginning? It was actually fairly early, um, but it was more not so much like how many locations can we build. It was more of a matter of a mission. Like our goal is to change the level of professionalism in the landscape industry, and that became the way we were going to do it: is have many locations around the entire country to where our competition looks up to us and what we do and what we stand for and has to either you know modify their systems to match us or go out of business. What are the uh, kind of deal breaker systems that a small business needs to have in place before they start to scale out and either open that second location or just grow even bigger? What are the must copy to paste options? First and foremost, you have to focus on how do we get customers, right? You've got to have a system for how do we get customers and price them at a profit, right? That's a big, big 
scenario slash equation to figure out, but you've got to know that before you scale. You've got to know top of the funnel, how do I get customers in? How do I bring them through my funnel? How do I get recurring customers and actually produce a lifetime value? So if you can know your customer acquisition cost and your lifetime value of that customer, that model is now scalable. Because as long as my lifetime value theoretically is one penny more than my customer acquisition cost or CAC, then I should infinitely be able to scale that business. Knowing that is extremely important. That's the first thing is you've got to have a sales system. The second thing is you've got to now create a a hiring system or at least a people system to be able to actually, as the business scales, be able to delegate things to people below you and hire middle management and hire other people to take on tasks because you cannot scale the business and keep doing what you're doing now. It's going to require more people. It's going to require complete reinvention of how you delegate and have systems in the business. And so people are going to be a requirement for that. What were the first uh, systems that you kind of developed uh, in those early processes, and how did you, how did you sort of know that this was something we need to, we either need to, we need to systematize this, or we need to lock in this process? Yeah, for the lawn care landscape industry, a lot of times the bottleneck is selling, right? So I always thought, hey, the selling and the management of projects is is the part that's always falling back on me as the owner. So what you want to do is like, where's the bottleneck, and then create a system around that. Right. So I always say, hey, the bottleneck was every estimate. I have to be there. Okay, let's create a system for that. Let's create a really simple way of calculating the price for jobs and for quotations. So that way anybody can do it. Any of our most, you know, most junior employees that have been around them for a month or two can figure that out. Second thing was project management. So again, it was like, I have to go and show the project to every single crew. Well, now as we continue to grow and get bigger and bigger, now we have all these crews. I can't show them all the jobs every day, right? Because like now I was like, okay, we're gonna have one crew start at seven o'clock, then the next crew at 7.30, the next crew at eight o'clock, the next crew at 8.30, because I've got to show them projects and get them started on their day. That's not scalable, right? That was a bottleneck. So how do we create a system around that for us, it was when we're at the estimate, we're going to take a video of the job. So that way the crew doesn't need the estimator to come back to the property and walk them through it. There's going to be a video and job notes that should be able to be done without the estimator's involvement, thereby alleviating and reducing that bottleneck. So you're always looking for bottlenecks and then you've got to use a system to solve that problem. What is the process of developing a process and what are the, the key traits of a scalable business process? Yeah, I think, you know, you can get really granular and have spreadsheets and things, but I think it really comes down to find the bottleneck, create the systems, and then just constantly be testing that system. Is it actually moving the needle? There's no reason to have a whole bunch of systems and overcomplicate your business. It's got to be simpler. It's got to be more profitable and it's got to cut waste. Otherwise, the system is inefficient. So I'm not going to create a a system that, well, if we're going to do videos, that means we're going to have to have a, a $4,000 $4,000 camera, and we're gonna have to have a gimbal, and we're gonna have to, like, no, it's gonna be on your phone, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've got to make sure that the system that alleviates the pressure point, i.e. bottleneck in the business, needs to be cutting waste and creating more efficiency. If it's doing the alternative, then it needs to be refined or cut altogether. And so I think that's probably the the prism by which I would create a system. How are you evaluating the success of that process? Obviously, there's there's a lot of metrics involved that you're looking at. Um, one, what are those key metrics in particular? And also, how long are you kind of letting it run before you start to make decisions based on those metrics? Yeah, we move pretty quickly. Like, I'm not going to wait three months to figure out whether or not a system works well. I think most of the time it can be done within a day or two or even less. It can be done after one or two estimates to figure out if that 
system for that particular issue is going to be effective. Uh, I think relying on your frontline employees is extremely important when it comes to creating systems because they know what works. They know wh- if that something is actually being a more efficient or creating a hassle for them or it's going to be more of a pain in the butt to them and the customers than anything. So I think listening to them is extremely Listen to your customers. Are they annoyed by certain emails? Are they annoyed by periods of time in the sales process. Listening is going to be the thing that actually allows you to tweak it and do it fast. Don't allow it to be a process that we figure out over the course of two years. Because guess what? In two years, it's going to be a completely new process you need to learn. So I think it's more about iteration. It's about let's create it. Let's figure it out. Where does it break? Fix it, right? It does not need to be a long dialogue. And if it's more complicated and it's complicating the business, I don't think that's a good system. I think I want to always be leaning towards simplicity. Is it a, do you have a formalized feedback process or is it just keeping it, keeping the ears open and listening? I think sometimes a formalized process would somewhat disengage a frontline staff employee that literally is like, they would only be able to say, that doesn't work. That's all they get. That's all they understand. That does not work. That makes my job harder. And that needs to be a data point, right? And yes, you could have graphs and you could have like, hey, well, let's throw a nine out of 10. Like, look, by the time we all sit down and talk about it, we should have already made a decision based upon a few key data points. If a couple of the employees use a system and they're like, this is making our life harder. This will not make our jobs faster. Why would I go try to test this across the whole system? And so I think it's more about listening. If you keep your ears open to your frontline staff and your customers, uh, and you should be able to figure this out a lot faster than trying to have a formalized process. And that's why a lot of big businesses eventually st- stagnate and then fail is because they get so democratized in terms of like, we've got a system for the system for the system. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, you need to keep your ears open to whether or not that system is going to make it better for your customers and for your employees. If it's not, cut it or fix it uh, and just constantly be on that uh, iteration of, of trying to fix it. How much are you focusing on cultivating a, a company culture and keeping a kind of a consistent culture as you scale up? Yeah, I think it's a word that is overused to some extent, but also on the flip side, the most important thing in your business, mm. right? What I mean by that, when I say it's overused, like we're all about culture. And then you, you look and they're like, well, what's your culture? Like, well, we don't really know. It's like, well, you're, all, you're really young, right? Like, for example, it took a long time for the United States to develop a culture in our, in our, uh, in our country, right? It took years and years of like what kind of standard practices are, what's kind of expected of people, what's expected from government. Like it takes a long time. So I believe culture takes quite a long time to actually be formed inside of a company. The positive thing about that is for most small businesses, they're all relatively young, which means if you're going in the wrong direction with your culture, you can modify it relatively easily. But if you look at a company like GE or Walmart, companies have been around for a very long time. Good luck trying to change their culture. It'd like trying to change the government system in the United States. We've been doing the same thing for like 200 years. It's going to be hard for us to change. And so I think the positive thing is for a small business is being, again, listening is the most important thing to be able to adjust the same way we would a system. How do we adjust the culture, make it better for the employees, make it better for the cohesion, communication. Again, so important. How do we make those small tweaks? And we can do that because we're a small business. We can do that because we're young and we don't have decades or centuries of culture that actually weigh us down and keep us from being nimble. What's the first step for someone who wants to scale their business? And what did that look like? What did that step look like for you to fuel your company's growth? I think you got to focus on the top line revenue. If you're really trying to focus on size, 
right? Um, anything besides that is a distraction. So a lot of times, you know, you look at a, I had one around here, I was gonna hold it up, but I guess no one can see us anyways, but I was gonna hold up an income statement. If you look at an income statement, it's maybe a page long, right? Really, if you're trying to scale and grow top line revenue, we should be focused on one thing. That's like the top one inch of that of that uh, income statement. How do I grow top line revenue? It's gonna be focused on sales and hiring and growth. That's gonna be what you focus on as the business begins to evolve and mature and you focus on profitability. That's when you shift your uh, kind of sites or your focus from the top inch to the bottom half where you're talking about expenses and to create more systems and profitable ways of cutting out waste. But if you're so focused just on growth, you hey, I, how, how much money am I making? Like how? How can I get more sales today? How can I get more customers? How do I take those same customers I have and make more money from them by upselling them? Those are the type of questions you have to start thinking about if you're top, talking about top line growth and growing the size of a business. As you kind of set those initial goals, uh, what was the first goal that you set when you were starting to scale and did, did you meet it? I think the big goal for a lot of small business owners is like, man, if I could just have a million dollar business, right? And so obviously when I first got started, like, man, if I could make seven figures, do a million dollars in business, take home six figures in, in net pay just by myself, like that would be the dream. So yeah, we hit that obviously, but I think then it shifts towards other goals after that. Once you kind of take care of your, you know, financial obligations and thing that you need now, now it's shifted towards, it's much less about, you know, targets financially. It's much more about how do we keep refining things? Like for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's not so much the the profit is great. The money is great, but it's the constant game of business where you get to keep tweaking the system, keep, keep playing the game. I think as long as you stay in the game, you'll be successful. Like it just, we're constantly, we're always thinking about like raising capital and all these like flashy things. And it's like, look, if you can just stay in business for 10 or 15 years, you're probably going to be pretty successful because most people can't do that. So longevity has really been um, pushed down in a society of, of us looking at how much capital has been raised and top line revenue numbers and not looking like, is this sustainable? Can this business stick around for the next 10 or 15 years? I used to have four, four setting smart goals as a business owner. I think people drastically underestimate how much can be done in a month or in three months or in a year. There's a really good book called The 12 Week Year. Uh, we actually just finished reading it as a, kind of our, our internal book club that we do with our with our employees. And uh, it's a great book just because honestly, the, the whole concept is wrapped up in the book. And as you can get done or in the title, and that is you can get done in a year you can get all of that done in, in, in three months, right? Like instead of looking at a whole year, like, Hey, next year I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Well, if I put a gun to your head and told you you had to do it before the next three months, what would you do? It would completely change your whole thought process of like, when I'm going to hire people, how much I'm going to spend on marketing and how much am I going to put in the R and D? Like it would completely change your mindset. So I think we always underestimate how much we can get done. That's why a lot of times people with my story, they're like, well, how did you get to college so early? It's like, Look, it's a matter of, I think it can be done. I think you can compress primary school, middle school, and high school. Like that's 13 years that I simply was able to compress down to six or seven. I think that's possible. Um, and, and I think for most people that are growing their business in the same manner, it's like getting to a million is such a big thing in our mind. Like, well, if you had to do it this year, maybe you don't get there, but like, let, what would you do? How would you change your mindset? Would you change the way you hire people? And I think that's the kind of mindset that will stretch someone's capacity a lot. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. Uh, what are the specific costs of scaling a business? How do you determine those and how do you start to plan for those costs in your budgeting? Typically, the most expensive is going to be actually not tied directly to the success of the business. What I mean by that is 
What a lot of times will lead someone to fail as they grow their business is not the customer acquisition or hiring part of the business, which actually drive top line revenue. It, what usually is is actually fixed assets, things like offices, real estate, inventory, these things that get purchased and are fixed costs and not tied to actually getting more customers, that's a lot of times the most cash intensive part of the business. So for lawn care and landscaping, it's like equipment and trucks and excavators and loaders. And then I got to have an office space to store them all. Then I got to have an office person that's overhead. All of those things can be very cash intensive. And is a lot of times the demise of a fast growing business that otherwise would be profitable. But because of all these fixed expenses that have been thrown on top of it, it's really begins to dampen the, the, the growth and success and profitability of that business. What parts of a business need to stay consistent as you grow and what parts are a little bit more fluid? And how have you kept Augusta Lawn Care's identity consistent through your scaling? I think the thing that you touched on is identity, right? I think identity, mission, why we exist, that's got to stay constant. Everything else has to be able to change. Everything, the way we hire people, the way that we work, like in the past couple of years, like all of a sudden, like virtual working was like a real thing. Uh, all of a sudden, like we cared about people coughing in the office. Like all of that's got to change. The way that we, you know, interfaced with uh, seven-year-olds two years ago is completely different now when they're actually used to buying things online and putting their credit card inside and getting groceries on their front doorstep. That's all changed. So the only thing in my mind that should stay constant is the goals, the values, and the ambitions of the business. And then every single other thing in the business has to adapt and evolve because our economy, our environment, our climate, our workforce, everything else is changing. So to not change is basically signing your own death certificate. As the business has evolved, have you had any pushback from longtime customers in response to any of those changes? And how do you manage and maintain those relationships through the growth period? Absolutely. A lot of times it has to do with the fact that as a small business owner, when you're first getting started, they might like know you're on a first name basis. You service their property, you service their account, you take all their customer service calls, like everything is through you. As the business grows, you're going to somewhat have to give up that because you have other employees that take on those roles. And guess what? Employees will never be able to do as good a job as you. And to cry over that basically means you're going to never grow your business. That's just part of it. They're never going to care as much as you. They're not going to work 80 hours a week for a customer to get the job pushed across the line. They're not going to care because they don't have equity. They, their bottom line and the business's bottom line are not attached. So they're not going to care as much as you. So therefore, sometimes that does create friction with a, a customer that has had your name, your address, your personal contact, and now that's being somewhat torn away from them. But that's just part of a business. You've got to realize that some customers that are great for you when you start are not going to be the customers you need to grow and scale. Uh, and that's going to have to evolve and grow along with the business. As you bring in those new team members, uh, what were the the main traits you were looking for when you were starting to hire those those first few employees uh, in the growth phase? It's very difficult, right? Because at the growth phase, you're you're building the, the rocket ship as you're flying, right? And so we went through a lot of employees because you really don't know what you're looking for, right? You don't know the perfect ideal employee. You don't know what questions to ask. You don't know what red flags you're really looking for until you've done it. And like, mm. again, you look at SpaceX, they had like multiple, excuse me, crashes before they figure out how to throw the thing up there without it blowing up. So I think you've got to realize if you're going to grow fast and you're going to scale, you've got to throw rockets up. And some of them are going to crash and burn. But you've got to do that if you're ever going to be able to figure out which one doesn't. 
So I'd focus more on hiring fast and then firing them fast. And then mm. finally you'll start to get a rhythm of which ones are working out well, and then you'll be able to scale that workforce. And we're only just realizing that in like the franchise model where we require a large amount of frontline staff for like answering phones and things like that. What is that ideal person, whether they're working virtually or they're working in the office? That's a tough, tough thing to crack. And I would focus more on starting and getting it done and growing and throwing up rockets than I would be like, we got to get the perfect rocket. No one can hmm. ever fail. How do you build that that strong team? Um, is it all about you know the input who you hire or is it you know more training as you bring them on board? Uh, and what can you as a business owner do to encourage team building? I think at the beginning, a lot of it has to do with, honestly, they either have or they don't right? Because they don't, we don't have the time to be able to manage them and make sure all the processes are just right. And the onboarding process and the training is just right. At the beginning, they've got to be a go-getter. They've got to be independent, self-reliant. They've got to be able to figure things out on their own. As time goes on, as the business matures, as your culture gets stronger, you can take a B player and pull them up to being an A player because you have the systems in place, because you have the culture, because you have great team members that have been with you for a while and can pull those people up. But at the beginning, when you're you're first getting started, you're really trying to scale things out. And you're growing really fast. A lot of times, it's they either have it or they don't. They either buy into the vision of what you're doing or they don't. And as time goes on, you mature, then it becomes much more about, hey, what procedures and systems we have for training and implementation and quality assurance and things like that. So in the, on the day-to-day, how much of your time are you spending on company growth? And you know the, the received wisdom on that is that you know, entrepreneurs are saying you should spend 80% of your time growing the company. Um, is, that, is that the right percentage for you or do you think it's more or less? I don't think there's any right percentage, right? If you talk to someone like Elon Musk, he does not think about it very much. He's in, he is inside of SpaceX and Tesla factories figuring out operational inefficiencies. And I tend to be more that way in terms of focusing on the product. If I can focus on the product, customers will come. If I can focus on the product of Augusta Lawn Care and creating the systems better, franchisees will show up. I don't need to be strategizing and doing whiteboarding and all the rest of it. I need to focus on the product and that will attract customers. Tesla doesn't do any marketing. They don't focus on numbers of how many cars we're gonna sell next year. They focus on one thing, how do we produce more cars? How do we make it as efficient as possible? That type of operational efficiency and focus from a CEO, in my opinion, is what really allows a business to scale. Because if you just focus on, like you doing whiteboard projections, not gonna help you grow the business. Mm. It might give you a nice warm, fluffy feeling, but I think so oftentimes small business owners try to think and act like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies way too soon. And they're thinking like strategy meetings. It's like, look, you run a $200,000 a year business. Not to, to push that down or say that that's lowly, it's like, you should not be spending two hours a week thinking about strategy and about long-term goal setting and working on the business. You should be working in the business to generate more revenue so you can afford somebody to take things off your plate and focus on continuing to grow the business. Mm. So I think that far off when we read books like uh, Traction or the EOS system, Entrepreneur Operating System it's called, and we start putting together all these big formulas and like we're going to grow in projection and strategy meetings. And then we step back and realize that, hey, that the example in that book for that, that author used was doing $7 million in annual revenue. They were having strategy meetings and head of department meetings. You as a small business owner, probably not the best use of your time. So how many uh, employees do you have today and what systems are you using to kind of keep that team organized? Yeah, that's tough. So because I have multiple businesses in multiple locations, I'd say that personally I pay on a weekly basis is probably around 50 or 60 maybe. 
But then obviously without with all the franchise, it's probably a few hundred um, that are inside the franchise. And how are you keeping those those team members organized? That is that is the magic question. Um, I think that's <laughs> communication, right? So, for example, mm-hmm. internally we use in the office we use uh, software to be always in communication. We always have checklists and things like that. In the team that's out in the field, we still use WhatsApp. It's a great tool to keep your team together. Voice notes, pictures, videos. Uh, team meetings is still important in my opinion. Uh, yes, you can have a virtual call or something like that, but like tomorrow evening we're having an offsite meeting. We have a dinner. We bring everyone together, talk about the numbers, talk about more strategic things. But again, that's twice a year. That's not like every single week or every day we have a two-hour meeting. So uh, I think it's communication, right? And being open and honest about where we're at in the business, what we're doing financially. We have open book management so they know what's happening. They know where we're at. And I think that's very important. Scheduling and payroll, uh, sort of the you know the, the human resources type issues. Um, how are those handled differently as you're scaling the business? Yeah, as you scale the business, like to the point where I'm at now, like I don't even know about scheduling. I don't, I don't know about payroll. It, it doesn't even come across my desk, right? So, uh, as you scale, payroll is a defensive move. Payroll is very much of a, hey, we got to count the beans. We got to make sure payroll is being ran. And I want to report on that, but I'm not going to be focused on who's working when and if we should cut hours. That needs to be someone else my size, right? When you're first getting started, that is going to be a big piece of your uh, equation every day and your time that's being spent because 40, 50% of your revenue is going out the door to wages. So you better make sure your scheduling's nailed down and your payroll's nailed down. But for me to spend even an hour a day focused on that is taking away from probably a, you know much larger deals or systems that I then don't have the brain power or time to allocate towards. And so as your business grows, you've got to start delegating. You've got to start letting those things go. And that can be difficult, especially with things like QuickBooks or you're, you know letting them see all the numbers and them actually running their own payroll. Oh my goodness, like they might steal money from me. And that might be true. And if it is, you're still better off delegating that thing because mm-hmm. what you will unlock is the time and energy towards things that are a- going to actually move the business forward instead of defensive measures like payroll and HR. Not to diminish the, the value of those things. Those are extremely important roles, but it's not going to move the business forward. How has your uh, leadership style changed as the company's grown? And what leadership style or traits do you think are the most beneficial for, for growing a business? I think the biggest handicap for most entrepreneurs is what I also have. And that is that we we can, we have the ability to juggle a lot of things. We actually enjoy being really busy. And knowing a lot of stuff about a lot of things. We kind of have like this pride in like how busy we are. And what that, the, the, the handicap that creates is we therefore get our paws into everyone's business in our business, in our company, right? And we hire people and then we basically say, Hey, do this work. But like, I want to know all about it and I'm going to have a better idea. I'm going to have it. And that can be very good because you got good ideas. But if you start growing and scaling the business, there'll come a point where you cannot micromanage every single person in your business. You've got to let them go run go make mistakes, figure things out on their own, and just realize that you've got to focus on 10% of the problems that are the highest level. And that's hard because you care about people. You care about my franchisees. I care about my employees, but there's some things that should not be addressed by myself. And that's not because I'm cruel or, or I have no heart. It's because I don't have the time. And if we want to move the business forward, I've got to delegate those things to other people. And so, and blindly delegate, let them go run with it. If I trust someone, go do it. I don't need to hear about it. I don't need to have any sort of, you know, you know, feedback. 
I might want a data report. I might need some feedback down the road, but I don't need that every day. I don't need a text on every single decision in the business anymore. I need someone else to make strategic decisions in the business about buying, hiring, advertising. That needs to be done by somebody else. How have you uh, felt your own role shift uh, as you've gone from, you know, in in the beginning, you know, day to day managing the directly the staff, and now managing managing managers and perhaps managing managers who are managing managers. Uh, like, how is that? Sh- have, how have you dealt with and felt that shift as a leader? It's hard because when you're first starting starting out in your small business, you can stop at the end of the day and know exactly the dollar value that you participated or contributed to the business, right? Man, I worked eight hours today. I did six hours out in the field. Therefore, I made $600. I did two hours and I hired somebody and I did this marketing campaign that led to a $1,000 job. It's very easy to look at your day and be like, these are the dollars that I earned and contributed to the business. Whereas now, like, I don't do anything that drives top line revenue, right? In terms of directly, I should say. All mm-hmm. I'm thinking about is like, how do we get more help more people in terms of audience? How do we increase audience size? How do I improve the systems of the business that are never going to give me direct feedback in terms of how much money I made for the business? So it's sometimes hard to give yourself a report card as an owner when you are disassociated from immediate metrics, like how much revenue was earned in a day. That can be difficult sometimes, but you have to step back and realize that your time spent working on the system allows 50, 60, 100, 1,000 other people to be 10% more efficient, thereby unlocking $10 per person per day. That's the kind of economic scale that you got to focus on as you grow the business. As you've grown, um, I'm curious about any unexpected roadblocks that have, have cropped up as you've scaled and... And what are those new challenges that have come along with growing a business? And if there's if there's any advice you have that maybe somebody else who's in the midst of about to about to start to scale a business or in the midst of of scaling uh, in the same rapid way that you you have been scaling, uh, how they might prevent those those roadblocks? I think the biggest thing is to know why you want to get through the roadblock, right? Like what is the goal? Like why are you trying to scale your business? If you're just scaling it because like, well, might as well, like, that is eventually going to fail when you do hit a really, really hard roadblock, whether it be emotionally, financially, someone in the business leaving, slamming the door in your face on their way out. Like When that happens, you potentially might give up. I think the thing that you've got to focus on to get past those roadblocks is, why am I growing my business? Why am I putting myself through this torture? Because growing a business is tough. It sucks cash. Growth sucks cash. And it also creates chaos. When you start Mm. growing something, it creates chaos. Like when your body is growing, it creates stretch marks. It has to replicate over and over. And that creates, can sometimes create cancerous cells. Like when a business is growing to that extent, it's painful. The same way that you would have like stretch marks or like growth pains, the same thing happens in the business. So you've got to know like, why am I going through this? Like, why am I putting my family through the fact that they're not going to see me for five straight days? Or that I'm not going to be able to participate at all of my family events, potentially. Or I'm going to put myself through massive financial stress for the next five years. You've got to know why. Because that way, when you hit a hurdle, you can at least talk yourself through through the hurdle. Because otherwise, most people, that's when they will give up. Mike, you've been on the podcast before, uh, we, where we talked in depth about franchising a business. Uh, for those of you that are are new to the show, this might be your first episode listening. Go back in the feed. That episode is available. Make sure you check it out. But in the context of scaling, why did you choose a franchise model? Do you think it's the is the best way to scale sort of any business or is it specific to lawn care? I'd love your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, so great question. Uh, franchising is good, a good model when it requires a lot of capital to start a new location. So what I mean by that is for us to start a new location, we got to buy trucks, equipment. We got a new space, a geographical space, right? If I was trying to scale a business that was very, very low cost to start, for example, a cleaning business where literally all I need was a rag and a mop, and I could literally get started. That might be where you want to own the business and be more of a chain because you then can do 100 locations for a relatively low cost. Franchising is a great model to be able to scale quickly because you're using other people's capital as the initial startup costs. What's the downside of franchising is you get a very small percentage of the profits generated from all of those locations. So I would say that if someone's deciding between franchising versus just starting more and more of their own locations, the big question comes down to can you can can you start one of uh, one more of your locations without much capital? Because if you can, you should probably own it. If you can't and it's geographically bound like ours is, then it might be a good idea for franchising. But it should not be over understated just how difficult it is to get past 100 franchisees because that's actually when a business will typically become profitable in the, as a franchisor. It's extremely difficult. A very small percentage of franchisors ever cross 10, 50, let alone 100 franchisees. How have you altered your advertising and marketing strategy as you've grown? And uh, how is advertising uh, different as a as a franchisor versus um, you know if you if you did own all of these locations? Yeah, I think the the, the hard part when you have franchisees or you're trying to, to advertise across a whole country, a lot of different uh, even chain-owned locations, is creating a generalized or vanilla enough content or creative for all the locations, but they're not being so vanilla that's disconnected or it seems uh, like very corporate feeling. I think the best social media uh, advertising is doesn't feel that way. It feels very organic. It feels very native. It feels very local. And so trying that's the balance you've got to really uh, push. And I think the way to do that is make sure that your marketing is somewhat of a homegrown feel, right? Even as you grow and scale, make really be really professional. Most small businesses index way too high to being really corporate and professional looking because that's all we see from Apple, Facebook, Google, all these massive companies. And we try to advertise and emulate them when we should be advertising the fact that we aren't them, that we are homegrown, that we are family owned and operated, that we are local and that we do pick up the the camera and start videoing ourselves to the face and we don't have a $50,000 budget to make a great looking video. That's sometimes our best quote unquote weakness is our greatest is our greatest uh, really advantage that we have over those uh, other marketing venues that are uh, you can get lost in a sea of, right? How do we stand out is how do we be local and stand out from all that all that noise? What's the biggest scaling mistake you've made so far and uh, what did you learn from it and how did you recover from it? Yeah, the one that comes to mind immediately is the fact that we didn't staff up enough at our command center. So uh, for our what we failed to realize is that when we started franchising a couple of years ago, we got X amount of locations. That's great. But we, we failed to realize that if we double the amount of locations that we have, it's not going to just double the amount of incoming calls, emails, and office admin work that we take for them at command center. Well, we failed to realize that the existing locations are also going to double or triple in size. So instead of having a linear where it doubles, it's actually going to 4X. It's going to quadruple, and it's much more of an exponential growth pattern in the terms of 
incoming calls, inbound uh, you know, amount of leads coming in. And we dramatically underestimated this past spring. Uh, and it was horrible. We, we were missing 20, 30% of the calls and they were going to voicemail. Uh, our response time was a day instead of, you know, now like under an hour in terms of sending out estimates. So we were able to figure that out, but that was a very painful part of the business. We were working six, seven days a week, uh, for ungodly amount of hours. People were breaking down to some extent emotionally just because amount of work that was being put on everyone. And it was hard to find people. And it's not like you can just onboard people immediately. It takes weeks for them to get trained up to where they can actually be useful. So it was a very difficult time in the business and something I will look back at one day and hopefully laugh about. One last question for you here. Uh, we've all seen businesses doing great in one location struggle when they start to expand. What's the main cause and how do they prevent it? Yeah, because most of the time, most businesses are personality dependent, which means they depend on a personality, a strong personality, usually found in the founder or the entrepreneur that's running and juggling everything in the business. So building a business that's personality dependent will always mean that if you remove that personality, the business will collapse. Whereas when you create a systems-centric business, the systems run the business, not the person. You, you, can, you can replace the person, you can put a different manager in, and everything will just work fine because everything's built on the systems instead of the personality. And for most entrepreneurs, it's easy to build a business around your personality because you are awesome, because you are great. Like let's all bow down to the entrepreneur and say how great you are. Cause you probably are. You're probably better than most people at their jobs. But the problem with that is if you become the strongest point that everything is centered on, you also become the weakest link of the chain. And if you break, everything will fall apart. And when you create a second, third, fourth location, you cannot be at each location. And that's typically why people will fall apart and businesses will fail, fall apart because they're not system centric when they go to a multi-location system. Awesome. Mike, uh, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast again today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, for those of you out there listening, uh, make sure you check out our blog, going to uplift.com slash blog, where we share some useful resources and tools for business owners. Also our YouTube channel, Upflip on YouTube, where we showcase some of the most successful small business owners. And we've got some amazing interviews coming up on this podcast. So make sure you spread out the word about the podcast and tune in every Monday morning for another episode of Upflip. Have a great week, everybody. And thank you, Mike, one more time. 